Hello and welcome to In Stitches, the upholstery podcast for upholsterers by an upholsterer with your story and inspiring others. Uh, I'd like to welcome my guest, Wendy Shorter-Blake, MBE, to the show. Thank you so much for joining me, Wendy. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. That's all right, after I stumbled through the beginning. So I'd like to start off, when you started out in life, did you have a career path that you wanted to follow? Was it something that you always wanted to do? When I first left school, I wanted to be a needlework teacher. Okay. And, and getting on, um, you know, back in those days, there was quite a glut of teaching staff, unlike today. And um, my mum said to me, I'm not paying for you to go to university to do all that, to be out of work. You know, you should become a secretary. Oh, God, you know, you can always find work, which is very true. I was always in work. And I was very lucky that I sort of started my career working for um, Philips, training people to use their first range of word processors. And during that time, one of the people that I um, trained was Stanley Kubrick, the film director. Okay, very good. Who who offered me a job, um, which I turned down initially. But um, yes, yeah, it's, um, you know, it was all a bit manic and what have you, but I turned it down. But uh, eventually I said uh, yes, because he was rather persistent. And um, we well, must and have had, had something, a... Wendy. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> you must have had something that he recognized. That's that's brilliant. Yeah, well, I don't know yeah. what. So, yeah. um, so I had a 15 year career working for Stanley. I worked for him for eight years, I was his PA. But after about eight years, uh, I started on Full Metal Jacket and then went through to the end of uh, no, I started on The Shining and went through to the end of Full Metal Jacket. And I then decided that I wanted my life back because he was, you know, um, all encompassing and I would get phone calls in the five in the morning and, you know, it was just manic. So I I went freelance um, and that's how I met my husband. Okay. But once I had my daughter working in the film industry, that really sort of put paid to to that. You know, you the two do not mix. A young, a young family and uh, film career so Steve was works in the film industry he does lighting so one of us had to give up and I waited long enough for Louise to come along so decided to sort of be a a mum stay at home mum which was fine until she went to school and then I thought what the hell am I going to do with myself so um, I thought right well now I can retrain um, do something that I always wanted to do, which was sort of needlework. And I, I'd done evening class upholstery yeah. over the years. And okay, so, so so there was an interest. Yeah, yeah. So there was an interest in it because that's the thing that sort of fascinates me how you how you went from that to to becoming an upholsterer. So it, it's. It, it, yeah, I definitely had yeah. an interest. Had a go at redoing my own furniture and things like that. So it was a golden opportunity while Louise was, was little to be able to retrain and to, to take my time to do that and build my career around her and going to school and, you know, what have you. So, yeah, what started out as sort of very slow, gradual process sort of grew as, as she grew up and became much more independent of me. I trained at, it was London Guildhall then, it's now obviously London Met. Yeah, Matt, yeah trained there when I finished there decided that I would buy all this antique furniture and re-upholster it and put it up for sale 
um, once I'd done it. Um, needless to say, I've still got it. It's all in the <laughs> door around the house. And I keep telling my students that yeah. one of these days I'll do it again and I'll do it properly. Yeah, yeah. it's funny. I think we all kind of go down that path at some point, don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So, yeah, you know, just started with um, a workshop built at the bottom of my garden. My daughter used to say I was in my Wendy house at the bottom of the garden. <laughs> Steve used to say she's down the bottom of the garden with the fairies. So, <laughs> but it's it's great. I still yeah. have that workshop, and yeah. I still go down there and tinker and play and what have you. But obviously, oh, things that's have moved lovely. on. Yeah. So, so what for? What was the path that that led you to teaching? Because I mean, obviously, you've done so much within teaching, and I, I wonder how you went from that to thinking I I want to teach. You know, it's well, it's. I, it, I did the upholstery um, first. I got the upholstery qualifications first. And then although I'd always sewn, I thought, well, I'll get a soft furnishing um, qualification. And so I did that at West Hearts College because I knew the tutor there and I knew she was really good. Yeah. And, and at that time, it was a city and guild four-year course. One of the things we had to do was to make a loose cover for a chair and unfortunately, all the students in the class bought in chairs that needed reupholstering. And Sue looked at these chairs and thought, oh, my God, how the hell am, you know, am I going to show them how to make loose covers when they're not fit for purpose? So she asked me to take her class for three weeks to see if we could sort of knock them into some sort of shape that she could then do the loose cover. And West Hearts then said to me, you know, why don't you have a go at doing an evening class? So that was in 1999 and it's what started out was just try a 10 week course just you know because I thought oh I'm never going to be any good I'm going to go around slapping everybody's hands you know <laughs> which I have I'm sorry to say I still do you know very <laughs> well you've got to learn somehow yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and it all sort of grew from there so okay. I taught there for oh six years yeah there and uh, Dunstable College and I also went back to um, London Met in 2004 when my tutor Ernie Spratlin retired Malcolm Hopkins asked me if I would take over um, you know his his course so I did the advanced upholstery course there for three years but during that time West Hearts College lost their funding and made me redundant so and I had students part way through their courses so what started as a bit of a joke with one of the students saying, well, look, don't worry, Wendy, because we're all coming to your house. And I'm thinking, gosh, that's going to be cosy in my little workshop at the bottom of the garden. Yeah. You know, they, they decided that, uh, you know, they wanted to take it serious. And if I could find space, um, that we'd set something up and, and start from there. And it has just literally grown from there. I started with six students and within three months I had 18. God, that's and, fantastic. Um, you know, have a few more now, although COVID is causing us a few issues at the moment, yeah. you know, reducing the number of students we can have because we have to give everybody two metres social distancing. Yeah. But we're, we're still there and it's grown. Yeah. So fast forwarding into sort of joining the AMU and getting involved in the AMU, because obviously you've been a key developer, if not the developer of the AMU qualifications. How did that progression, how, 
what was the thought process for you to go from just teaching in your garden, for want of a better term, to, to actually starting to coordinate something that, frankly, has been incredible for an awful lot of people in learning our craft? Yeah. Well, what, what happened was um, when West Hearts College made me redundant, that was because they lost their funding. Because at that time, all the upholstery classes came under adult education. And in 2005, government cut funding for adult education. So in one fell swoop, that meant that, uh, you know, the courses disappeared. And at that time, all the City and Guild courses were all two, three and four year courses. So and they were only giving funding for one year courses. And the AMU, but um, Chapman had written an outline for a one year upholstery class, which I asked the AMU if I could try at West Hearts. So we, we piloted it for one year at West Hearts. And then I said to, to them that, you know, it wasn't really fit for purpose, it wasn't working. So they said to me, well, write it the way you think it will work. So that's what I did, started it off, wrote it and ran it again for a year at my training centre for a second year. And, you know, it seemed, seemed to work. And then we had uh, two other training centres inquired, um, the one down in Truro, um, yep. Trusethic Upholstery, with Richard Hooper came on board, and then Stuart Bottomley, who was in Kendall at the time, is now in Oxford. So they came on board and wanted to do it. So, and then you know we've just developed it, as you know, you know things move on because it was originally it was very much traditional skills, just you know the the hand traditional skills, but we we then sort of discovered in the sort of early 2010s that we needed to expand it to include you know a lot more sort of the modern techniques because obviously mid-central modern furniture was coming in vogue yeah. much more in vogue and what have you um and we needed those sort of tailoring skills that are are more prevalent in the mid-century stuff so so the courses have been developed over time now we've got 18 training centers around the country two in scotland Five nearly on my doorstep. I keep saying there's a big, big <laughs> gap between me and Scotland. I'd like you to fill it up there a bit if you could. Yeah. But they're all doing well. So, you know, they're all sort of all having issues as well with COVID. It's yeah. not made yeah. Yeah. life very easy for, for most of us. But that's working well. And then we've got those that, that are working, but of course they're not government funded. Yeah. Because yeah. they're what's called a closed qualification. And what that means is we, the, the AMU, have much more control. You know, we can set the criteria the way that we think it works for our sector. And we can have our experts verify the quality of the work and uh, the certification. When you have an open qualification, like the city and guilds, then they're open to anybody. And then you have to write the syllabus the way that government want you to write it, regardless of whether it's relevant or not. Yeah. And then anybody can pick it up and take it and you lose control. So that's working very well. But of course, it does mean that, you know, the courses are expensive because there isn't any government funding at all. 
Yeah, the counter to that, though, Wendy, for me, as a, as a, as a guy who employs, I mean, I've employed quite a few students over the years, if someone's prepared to pay that sort of money to learn a skill, I'm far more likely to employ them because they've actually shown some, and I appreciate that it, it's very much if you've got the money, and I understand all those implications, but I think it's, it's a, a fantastic indication of someone's enthusiasm for the trade. Oh, I agree. You know, you don't get time wasters. It's a three-year course now. And at the end of that course, the students are, are paying between sort of ten and £12,000. That's a lot of money. This, yeah. And so, you know, you've got people that are committed. And, and I get a lot of students that come along and they probably 95% of my students have got a degree of some shape or form. Yeah. But what I really want is enthusiasm and commitment for the, for the, the craft. Um, and those that sort of put the time in, they're the ones that can sort of get rewarded with it. Not everybody goes through with it. Some drop by the wayside for various reasons. You know, life gets in the way. Some decide that actually it's not for them. But, you know, the AMU have had a lot of students that have gone on and are doing great things, which is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's also brought a massive influx of females into the, the trade as well, which... For, to my my way of thinking it, it can only be a good thing sort of long term but it, it's just interesting how the because when i started the trade was very male dominated and and it's definitely moving away from that and it, into a more interesting era i think because i think that even though there's obviously clearly issues with upholstery and and standards and quality because of the courses, I do believe there has been a lifting of quality. Yes, people are, I think are prepared to put the time in and, you know, and be creative with it. And yeah. to a certain extent, the old school, as you say, you know, when I first started, it was very male orientated. And I remember going to one AMU meeting and a guy from Lancashire sort of took me to task as to one of these young things. Bless yeah. him that gets their husband to pay their mortgage so they can tinker so i had to put him straight <laughs> don't don't mess with wendy <laughs> no absolutely no. and as you say it's it's gone on from there to a certain extent i think it's probably easier for a woman uh, in the current climate uh, to take on a part-time training it's, it is very true a lot of the men um, we, we do get men come and join us and that is great. You know, um, I did have a, a guy phone me one day and said that we were um, discriminating against men and I had to assure him <laughs> that we weren't. You know, everybody's welcome. But obviously, yeah. you know, it can be harder for a man if he's got to pay the mortgage and he needs the money. So, yeah. um, whereas the ladies, particularly if they've got young children, can build it around their family exactly the way that I did and, and develop yeah. it as their children grow. Yeah, I, I suppose that's a, a good point, although in, in some ways it's quite an old-fashioned point as well, I guess. Oh, good, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd like so, to think that we're a bit more independent than that, but I guess the reality is perhaps not. And, but as I'm, you say, I'm, it's changing over the years. Yeah. You know, I've been in it now for sort of over 20 years now, yeah. and attitudes have changed dramatically. We have become much more creative. Gone are the days where everybody wants that, to be the same. And it's, but that you know, is a direct result of more females being involved, I think. The, I the, think the, so, the, yeah, that that whole imagination. You know, there's some amazing stuff out there that's being done that is just so imaginative. And, and, and I mean, it's not 
specifically female but i just that that side of it i think is so exciting for the trade and it's something as someone that's been instrumental in all of this you should be incredibly proud of and I, I'm, I'm assuming that you feel immensely proud of that oh god yeah and i'm yeah. immensely proud of some of my students you know they've gone yeah. on to do some amazing things yeah several of them are now running their own training courses you know yeah. training centers and what have you as you know others have gone on to work for the likes of yourself and yeah. you know royal warrant holders yeah. And, and yeah. yeah they've really forged some fantastic careers which is brilliant and i'm more into thrilled about that than anything really yeah because so. because that's the point of it isn't it that's 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 why you started it to develop that in the first place you know that must have been yeah. your your core element I, I'm, I'm quite interested uh in because i think it'd be useful for any student listening to this is is what your key bits of advice would be for someone who's just about to start an amu course you know their first year what what, what would you you say would be the important things for them don't be in a hurry it is a craft particularly the traditional skills they take a long time to perfect you cannot do it in a short space of time you know i'm i've had some people um say you know they want to do all three stages in a year well I'm, we, we won't allow that it's yeah. not well, it's ridiculous you know, yeah the minimum time that you could do it in is really two years yeah i personally think that the the majority of students that get most out of it are the ones that take longer to do do it over one day a week three years and then lots of practice in between either work experience with somebody else or just working on their own working on different projects and what have you they seem to be the ones that sustain it much much better yeah, yeah. so because ten thousand hours is effectively five years which was you know the old yeah. apprenticeship scheme was five yeah. to seven years well, yeah. and you can't shortcut that no i've been doing it 40 years and <laughs> yeah. i learn every day so so yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's it's crazy to to think that you can but i i, I mean i think one of the problems is and it's not a problem because it's inspiring but the, the social media you get all these posts of these amazing upholsterers and they see that and they're like i want to be that good and i want to do it like in two years instead of looking at the guys that have been doing it 30 years and you know yeah. and, and know their trade inside out yeah um, absolutely and, and i've seen that a few times with yeah. students yeah there employed. aren't any shortcuts and what have you yeah. and it's putting the time in the time and the practice yeah. and you know if you're fortunate that you can get work experience with um somebody like yourself you know someone's been doing it for many years that's great so um it's it's can be hard for students to find work experience a lot of uh, a lot of the companies, particularly if they're one-man bands, they think they they're either going to take their business from them, or else they're going to have to redo it because um, yeah. they're not good enough and what have you. So, you yeah. know, I encourage them to take along their own work, work alongside somebody with that yeah. experience, because as yeah. you say, you're learning all the time. Yeah, and it's finding a job with someone is 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 really tough because I think most employers don't have the view that it's worthwhile because it will take them too much time when in actual fact i think the counter is very true yeah. because i've learned so much by employing students and also it's that that joy of seeing someone de develop i mean nick thomas who worked for me yeah. is a classic example of someone who came to me 
and and move through the stages. I mean, I've talked about this before, but it, I, I just think it, it's it's great to see someone go from being quite learned to to being really accomplished upholster. And and, and for me, that fills me with pride, and and that's kind of why I would never stop employing students. No, absolutely, absolutely. It's but it's I, great. Um, it's just a, sh a shame that you know there isn't any funding and so we can't we're not encouraging more and more young people to come through yeah. so from from the traditional um craft side all that's really available at the moment is the amu courses yeah. um and as we said they're they're expensive but we do have now a level two modern apprenticeship there is funding so if there is somebody out there um, that is prepared to employ someone there isn't any level that you've got to fit previously to get an apprentice they had to be um, preferably sort of 18 to 21 I remember now I remember. now then it came 24 now you can be an apprentice at any age they do have to be in full-time employment with someone and there is funding it's not the funding is not there to pay their wages it's to help pay for their training yeah um, the training is done in-house by the likes of you unfortunately whenever there's any government funding involved there's always the tick boxes and the, the paperwork that you've got to do yeah but there are training at what's called ATAs that will take that that side on for you there's a fee that you pay but that's what that that government funding is for to help you fund those sorts of things so someone can help you with the necessary paperwork that's, that's really um, interesting to see those yeah. um, uh, apprentices through yeah. and so we've got one for level two modern upholstery and we've yeah. got one for level three which is in traditional upholstery and the the level two has been running now for about 18 months the level three has only just come online but it's one of those things that government make you look at these qualifications every three years. So we do need companies and individuals to look at these apprenticeships and start taking them on. Because if in three years time, government look at the figures and say, well, nobody's taking up this qualification. There's obviously not a need for it. They will pull them. And then we're back to square one. Well, there's, there's a call right now for anyone listening isn't it because it's yeah it's really important know, it, that we put, fill these places so that's, absolutely you know yeah. it, it obviously it's easier for larger companies to do yep. but it is all achievable and if anybody wants more information they can either call me there's a bit going out in the next amu magazine if you send me a link i'll put a link on the, the podcast yeah for it. okay yeah okay and then, as I say, if anybody wants any more information, just give myself or the office a call and, and we can point them in the right direction. OK, brilliant. And, and I, I think we've really touched on this, but I, I'm going to ask it anyway, just as a different sort of question. So for the students that have completed their courses, they've done their level three and they're going out into the big world, wide world, if I could speak. Um, what would be the best advice for them what would be the best thing for them to do basically practice you know when they first go out they need developing on their speeds are slow um, and that is something that only comes with time and so i always recommend to my students that you've done your level three and you've done the big armchairs and what have you so that's great 
But the first thing to do is buy yourself a set of sprung dining chairs and work on them in tandem so that you you get consistency with your stitching you know they're they're great for building um your confidence for building your stuffing and your stitching skills and and if it all looks wrong it's not the end of the world to strip it out and do it again yeah. whereas you start on a chesterfield and it looks <laughs> wrong you're very reluctant to start unpicking and start slowly develop yeah. those skills don't take anything on that you know you're fearful of I you think, don't have to jump yeah. in the yeah. deep end straight away for me though i think there's an element you can disagree with me if you like i'm quite happy with that but i think there's an element of them actually having to put themselves out there and go and introduce themselves to the local upholsterers and almost make themselves a nuisance so that the, the upholsterer kind of notices them because if they can seek employment it's going to develop their skills much quicker absolutely absolutely and you know and so the last thing a student should do is one thing that i am categorized about my students are not allowed to do mates rates or student rates okay yeah you charge the going rate for the job so that may mean that you've got to do a bit of paperwork, a bit of legwork to find out what the going rate is in your area, because obviously different areas around the country. If you're working in, in you know, the West End, you've got to cover things like congestion charge and all that sort of parking problems and what have you, which obviously if you're working in the countryside, you don't have. So you've got to do some paperwork, legwork to find out what the going rate is. And then you win that contract, that job, fairly on its merits the last yes. thing that students should do is upset the likes of you because it can be very reciprocal if a student suddenly comes along and their, their customers got that chesterfield then it may be that they'd rather hand that to you and let get you to pass them something that's slightly easier and, and have yeah. that working relationship it's yeah it's all about relationships isn't it? yeah i yeah. i mean i i think that's sort of like the the key to to someone coming into the trade is to build a relationship so that they can yeah. get move forward with it because i mean without exception every student i've employed i'm still in touch with and yeah i because I, I guess there's an element of oh that they're only going to be with you for a couple of years and move on but i think you need to appreciate and understand that because it's all about their personal development yes yeah, but sometimes they come back you yeah. work with them they go off they come back yeah you know? absolutely and yeah you know they can bring a lot to your business um and you want to keep that working relationship the reciprocal thing um exactly, you know, working yeah. together so but just because you don't work cutthroat yeah exactly just because you don't work together anymore doesn't mean that you don't work together if you yeah. see what i mean from an employer's in point of view i think it's such it is possibly something people don't think about enough but i think that's such an important aspect of developing a student is to understand that they need to develop their skills in exactly the same way you did i didn't stay in one job for forever i, I moved around and why no. shouldn't a student exactly and to a certain extent you know we're all getting older and there's going to come a time no. when you are you want to give up you know you want to ease up yeah. and and it's really sad these days when when some of these fantastic upholsterers have not thought about succession and then don't have the the ability to be able to pass on their business or 
not just to pass it on, to sell it on. And then sometimes they just literally have to shut up shop. And and that's such a shame. It you is, know. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a bit of that recently, but yeah. So, so moving forward for you, Wendy, what, what's, what are your, what is your goals? What are your plans to, for the future? Have you, are you? Well, I am heading towards that retirement, you know. Yeah, you and me both. Uh, it's still, it's still a couple of years away, I think. But um, I was due to be, because as you probably know, I'm, I'm sort of heavily involved with the worship company of Upholders. Yes, I do, yeah. For anybody that doesn't know, upholders is the archaic word for upholsterers. And we cover upholstery, soft furnishings and funeral directors, because obviously the upholstery used to do all the coffins originally. Yeah. So in January, I became master elect and was supposed to be master from the 1st of April. So COVID and April Fools put a bit of a spanner in the works oh. and Boris has been dropping spanners all the way along. <laughs> so I'm, I'm still master elect. There is a possibility that I might be made, formally made master in September. It might oh, be October. Yeah. It could be next April. We don't know. It's it will happen. It will happen. That's the important thing. That's the theory. Yeah. So, but I've, um, for the past 18 months, I've been working with the upholders on a bursary scheme. Um, we will be announcing that next year. And that okay. is where the upholders will be sort of funding um, maybe those that are financially disadvantaged or, or young people to do the AMU qualifications. Oh, so that's fantastic. So we, can, we can pick yeah. up somebody who's... Um, it'll. It's going to be slow, a slow start, sort of dipping our toe in the water, find, trying to find the right candidate. So it'll be open to um, all the training centres, all the AMU training centres, to if they feel they've got somebody fits that the bill, we can do that. In the interim, I've been working with again part some of my past students and various people. We've been making things, and we're going to have a big charity auction. At the moment, it's planned for March next year. Okay. Um, where we're going to to sell some of the the pieces of furniture that myself and past students uh, have made, and we're going to, as I say, hopefully raise a lot of money that will go towards this bursary scheme, so that going forward we could add to the number of of students eligible for it. So there'll be more details about that coming out early next year. And uh, and I'll drop you links about it as yeah. as we you know we hear about it. Okay, so. lots of exciting stuff coming on. Screw yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it would have been great, you know, because we hope to roll it out this year for this for this September intake, but because COVID yeah. has stopped everything. Yeah. So. It's stopped everything, but in some ways it's, it's, it's developed things. So, I mean, it's been yeah. a nightmare. And but I think it's given people time for a pause to, to rethink. Yeah, um, and, yeah. and to, to decide exactly what they want to do and where yeah. they want to go. Because and, and, I don't think I'd be doing this if it wasn't for COVID. So, it, well, this is it. Yeah, yeah you'd be yeah. still there, you know, spitting tax on your furniture. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right wendy thank you it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you you're fascinating well, so thanks for that thank you very much okay all right thank you very much bye-bye right. take care bye-bye <laughs>